I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm-hmm. Mm. C'est bon. C'est bon. We are recording this on Friday instead of Sunday. Yeah. Because you're leaving for France tomorrow. Yeah, I should hopefully be almost there by Sunday. <laughs> <sighs> How do you feel? Oh, God. You know, I haven't been to a physical... I can't wait to get away from that terminology, but a physical uh, event since Berlin 2020. So I forgot how much, how stressful the week before a film festival <laughs> is in that, you know, a lot of smaller titles uh, get screeners for. There's the, a great opportunity to, you know, uh, get some coverage filed ahead of time and re ready to go. Uh and, and that plus working and watching and covering weekly releases and, you know, everything else with life. It's plus uh, all of the things that are up in the air with this uh, film festival as far as COVID testing, whose vaccinations are going to be accepted, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it. I'll be glad to be on the plane. All right. So, to get started today... We should probably talk about drag race. <laughs> the upper, the uh, our drag which, aperitif. Yeah, which seems like tradition now. So we still haven't finished Australia. I probably won't because I didn't like it. España, I probably won't pick back up again. Okay, you say that now. Well, but we did start Drag Race, uh, or I'm sorry, All Stars 6. And we're three episodes in. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on All-Stars Season 6? You know, it's a, it seems a little less predictable than the last season of All-Stars when, like, clearly and all throughout, it's like, oh, this is Shea Coulee's bag. Um, sure. And uh, despite some, you know, what I think was very uh, subconsciously racially charged melodrama from that season with uh, India What's-Her-Name, uh, I think that... It's exciting that it's not so clear-cut this time. At the same time, it also seems pretty, you know, it, it's just heavily produced. And a, a, a lot of the uh, assignments and taskings, you know, we've seen everything. I'm, not, I, 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 I'm kind of hungry for something. I know they're doing this game within a game thing that has yet to be revealed. Uh, but, you know, there, there are some people that could go quickly. <laughs> I'm going to name off each of the 13 contestants and you'll tell me like your initial We already thought. did that. You already did that. For All-Star 6? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Lord. I need to start taking my ginkgo biloba. Well, then let me just name the three who've gone home. So the first person to go home is Serena Chacha. Uh, how, did, how, did, how did you feel about her going home? Fine. Uh, could have not been there at all. It would have been fine. Uh, Someone has to go home first. You know, I was, you know, you're, you're always hoping, you know, she was a 21-year-old at the time, and you're always hoping to see some growth, and I, I think there is, there was, there has been, but also just not interesting, or maybe she should try something else. Uh, well, she is known, I think, nowadays for making wigs. That she sells to drag queens. And that was her what her song was about. Yeah, so I think she's made a career for herself. And she had mentioned she wanted to sort of be like a... She wants to create a, like a business and a platform that's a hub for people to get drag. And I think that, that seems to make more sense maybe for her. Although, I don't know that I think her wigs or her looks are that great. But I don't know that her as a drag performer 
is probably the lane she should stay in. So good for her for having an alternate plan. I mean, yeah. And then what? So Jiggly went home next. You know the glow. Yes, she might have looked tired, but I thought you know compared. I think I think she looks great. She seems happy. I th- I kind of wish she had stayed around for more than two episodes. I. I um, I, yeah, I think it's unfortunate she went home so early. I liked Jiggly in her first season. I thought she had a great personality. She's a hell of a dancer. Mm-hmm. And I thought seeing her now and after her transition and her weight loss, and it was lovely to see her. I would have liked to have seen more of her. Yeah, same. But she does have limitations. Don't we all? Don't we all? So I, I, I don't know that I think she shouldn't have gone home. But I forget who she who she was up against. Was Yada. She, oh yeah, I definitely don't want her to go home yet. Um, and then most recently, Silky Nutmeg, the Doctor Reverend Silky Nutmeg Ganache went home. How do you feel about that? I felt bad for her, which I, we talked about after watching it, and um, yeah, I I, I think she, I would have liked to see her stay around an episode or two more, as compared to say Jan. Uh, and we can talk more about that too, but uh, I, I like her. It, it's it, it was hard to see, you know, because she's very gregarious, uh, to put it mildly, on her season, and I, you know, saw an opportunity to steal the spotlight at every chance, and she did, and she was entertaining, and it, I think it was sad to hear the backlash she received, which you know I don't pay attention to any of all of that drama whatsoever. So, you know, revisit I, my only revisitation of these queens is usually on Drag Race. Um, so it, it's hard to see that she clearly felt like she had to, not dumb herself down, but to put, to dial back to such a degree that she was afraid to say anything. Um, and I think that's the unfortunate reality of, you know, this drag, this drag race universe is that people are also forced to toe the line. I think Silky's a good example of someone, like a contestant on a reality show who is encouraged to be over the top, whether it was directly from production or she had the the wherewithal to understand that she might want to do whatever it takes to steal every moment. And what that can do in the long run, which is create like a negative association, which she talks about on the show, saying that she, there was a lot of backlash and she did lose bookings. So it's unfortunate to see her in All Stars almost like an abused dog, like Mm -hmm. afraid to do what she's used to because she doesn't want to get in trouble. But I think what that really demonstrates is how important it is to be authentic yeah. and resign yourself in the fact that if your authentic self is not what people want, then those are the facts, America. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, we all like all we can do is our best. And if it's not good enough, then it is what it is. Like, I, I think that a lot of people who want fame and celebrity, they'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you might be selling your soul for pennies I, because you you put yourself out here to... I mean, you said it nicely by calling her gregarious, but I thought she seemed like a damn clown. And Sometimes, sure. Sometimes. And while I did enjoy her for the most part, I did find her grating. And I think, like, wow, you, you really put yourself out there in a way that is hard to 
back out of. But I think what also people don't understand, and I remember when, the, was that season 11, when she was on, um, and I remember chatter about how pe- people thought she was annoying or too much, and it's like, we also have to take a step back and realize that this is an overweight black femme queen and this is the way that she has had to navigate the world to, to, to be heard, be seen, to, to make, to command attention and that she might have been egged on by producers to be, you know, <laughs> even to, to exaggerate on herself, uh, if you will. But at the same time, you know, we, we got to look at where people might be coming from and not just cut them off to, to hear that. You know, she had canceled gigs because of her performance on Drag Race. I did, yeah, she was a little much, but she was also entertaining, and she always seemed like she was she was herself. Agreed. But I also think, okay, so what if we were approached by, like, let's say, like, WoW Presents, and they say, we want to produce a show for our online platform where we do movie reviews, like, 10-minute movie reviews... But they want us to be a little more flamboyant, a little more bitchy, which is not necessarily our personality. What would I say to that? Right. Uh, No. (laughs) I would say no as well. Because I'm not an actor and it would be immediately apparent that I'm being fake. And and I don't feel good being fake and I don't... To me, it's it's just too apparent. Sure. But the... If I'm being hired to play a part that's not associated with my name, well, that's something else. But if it's supposed to be me, it's, it's going to be me. But the point I was going to make is I can see how that prospect is seductive to people. Yeah. Like, if, like, I don't have any desire to be famous. I don't need money like that to right. make myself seem like a clown. And I'm also older, so I don't, you know, a lot of the things that people seek, I've either already had or I'm used to not having it and I'm fine with it. So, right, right. so I think like, okay, a 20 something who just wants attention and just wants money and I, I can see how people can very easily go down that road. And I think watching a lot of these drag queens become so notable for like a three month period and then it just goes away as soon as the season's over because then we get the next season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's by, by now we've gone so far into this zeitgeist, it's a machine. It, it's just, it, it's a machine and you have to respect what it can do for you and not condemn it for what it can't, so. There, at this point, U.S. drag race queens, there are, you know, what, 130, yeah. 140? And it's like, okay, of all of those, how many have really solidified themselves with, like, a, a strong career. Well, it's like the Real Housewives as well. The, I mean, not many. Right. Well, but the thing is with the Real Housewives, the whole premise is that they were already, you know, doing something sure. before they were gassed. But these queens, it's like, this is their platform. And it just, you know, they better make their little money that first, you know, three months after the show comes out or while the show's airing and then so six months total I feel like that's their moment to get those $5,000 bookings yeah but after that it's like back to reality anyway this is not the drag race podcast anyway um, excellent uh, lip sync with Laganja Estranja Laganja Estranja who we already know is an amazing dancer yeah really gave a truly impressive performance and 
I don't want to talk bad about Trinity. I'm more concerned that Trinity doesn't look well. She was supposed to be a vampire in the, her... <laughs> no, I know in her episode three look, but I'm saying in general, her like she doesn't look as healthy as I... You know, in her confessionals and her as her boy self, uh, I thought... I think she looks good. Just, you know, say what you will about her flipper. But I, she, I think she looks... I, I think it's in drag where she looks kind of severe. Very few people know my dental journey. You do, obviously. It's mm-hmm. been extreme and yeah. difficult. And mm-hmm. there have been a lot of tangential things that have made it worse. But you would never know watching me on YouTube. Like, you know, right. my smile looks fine in, on video. And lovely, yeah, yeah. But it, it, but but it's not, and there have been a lot of issues, and so I relate to having issues with my smile, and I just wonder, like, why Trinity doesn't do better. Sure. So so I that combined with her not looking the most healthy is a little concerning to me. Sure, uh, it might be a makeup thing. Uh, I thought she looked better on her initial season than she has. This season, she she carries with this kind of sadness about her. I, I think that which also doesn't help. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like there, there's also getting down to the nitty gritty. Nothing innately wrong. No, but we've spent I think more than ten minutes talking about this. So. Oh, I didn't realize we had a. No, was, we don't. But okay. I mean, you know. Anyway, uh, but I want to say Laganja Stranja, who I found, who I someone was someone I found grading on her season seemed really joyous and happy and glowing. Oh, that's a good point. I feel like Laganja was, you know, she's pre-Silky, and I feel like she also suffered from the same condition of, I think, being egged on or felt encouraged to be a clown. Yeah. But I agree, yeah. You were saying she looks happy. Yeah, it's like, oh, I kind of... When's she coming back? I want to watch her. And I I really (laughs) hope it's due to her transitioning as well, because it's like she's, you know, feels more comfortable in her skin. But yeah, she looked happy. She... Dance the hell out of that song. Okay, well, moving on. So, you want to talk about some new projects. One oh, of them yes. is called One Fine Morning. Oh, yes. So, you know, Can is about to happen, and a lot of the films in competition have been in the can for... Have been in the can, pun intended, uh, for a while. So, at this festival, some of these competing auteurs and directors already have other projects that are starting which is kind of rare because, you know, they've had something finished for so long. So, uh, One Fine Morning, uh, Mia Hansen Love, who's Bergman Island, is about to premiere at Cannes, uh, has announced a new project uh, on the books that will star Leah Seydoux, which that is a very exciting combination to me. Oh, good. Uh, next is a Tilda Swinton, Wes Anderson film. And we're about to see both of them. Uh, his The French Dispatch, starring Tilda, among many others, is about to premiere in competition again. And he has announced uh, a new project with Tilda again. Um, which, how many times? Three? You haven't seen the Grand Budapest Hotel or, uh, oh God, the Moonlight film that I really liked. Uh, it, uh, he said he's not willing to give any details about it, but it's supposed to shoot in Spain, I think, this fall. Uh, but obviously, I like Tilda more than Wes, but uh, obviously he's somebody... Well, it feels like you have to watch his films. All right. Something called Manodrome? Yeah. So John Trengrove, who has been to our house, uh, <laughs> uh, he's the he's in a relationship with Marco Dutra. Uh, oh, I wasn't here. You weren't here. So who knows what was going on while I was out of, 
out of town. But anyway. Uh, some uh, pizza and a movie. Uh, anyhow, John Trengrove, South African director, he... Oh, we forgot to lock the cat up. Uh, the cat is making a special appearance. But ch- chittering. <laughs> uh, his 2017 debut, The Wound, which I saw at Sundance, starring Nakane Toure, uh, South African musician. Uh, excellent film, if you haven't seen The Wound from 2017. Uh, has announced a new project called Manodrome, uh, set to star Riley Keough, uh, Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. Uh, oh, from Zola. Please go see Zola. Excellent. Um, Jesse Eisenberg and Adrian Brody. Uh, something about an Uber driver getting involved in a toxic cult of masculinity that sounds amazing oh. uh, that is going into production this fall Manodrome okay lastly something called Alpha Gang the Zellner brothers David and Nathan Zellner who did uh, Kumi- Kathleen Zellner's kids no no <laughs> oh god I so want Sigourney Weaver to play Kathleen Zellner when could you that's know, something I would definitely uh, uh, she, I, I would donate to the GoFundMe she couldn't I mean you know if Putting this out there in the universe, somebody get the... the oh, can you imagine Sigourney Weaver as Kathleen Zellner? Yeah. Oh, God. Anyhow, uh, the Zellner Brothers, who directed many things, Kid Thing, uh, with a late voice appearance... With a voice appearance from the late uh, uh, Susan, Susan Tyrell, uh, and uh, Kumiko, the treasure hunter, have a new project called Alpha Gang... Uh, science fiction thing, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Andrea Riseborough, and Sophia Butella, among other cast members announced, but those three ladies make me very excited for that. Moving on, so films you watched you, we, that you didn't cover on the YouTube channel, um, there's only one, something called No Sudden Move. Which I, <coughs> yes, I saw a press screening of No Sudden Move, a new Steven Soderbergh film, which was really good. I haven't had time to write about it. I wanted us to cover it because it came out uh, in conjunction on HBO Max on July 1st. Uh, yeah, it, it just no time. Uh, and I haven't had time to watch anything else because I've been mired in uh, screeners for Can. But No Sudden Move, it's a 1954 Detroit set, a neo-noir directed by Steven Soderbergh with... Um, it. Ed Solomon wrote the script, uh, Don Cheadle stars Benicio Del Toro, uh, among I'm trying to remember who plays the wife at this point because my brain is fried. Uh, oh, uh, Amy Simetz. Anyhow, uh, it's very much kind of how like Chinatown was about the LA's water issues. This is very much about the catalytic converter in the 1950s and how about how the big four were suppressing technology. Uh, for a new mu- a muffler system because they... Are you sure it's the big four and not the big three? Is it? The, I thought it was the big four, but... What's the fourth one? I don't know. Ford, Chrysler... Something with an S. Dodge, and then... Oh, Studebaker. Studebaker. Oh, so it is the four. Yeah, I think it's the big four. You, you didn't watch the movie? About the... It's about the catalytic... The creation of the... The suppression of the creation of the catalytic converter uh, because the big four did not want to admit that cars were polluting the environment. But that is very much in the background and is an excellent film noir in the tradition of, uh, say, the Easy Rollins character of Walter Mosley's uh, books, which Don Cheadle was in the sole Easy Rollins uh adaptation of Devil in a Blue Dress starring Denzel Washington back in was that 95 or 96 um, have you ever seen Devil in a Blue Dress no oh it's 
we have it on Blu-ray. Excellent movie. Okay. Is that all? So um, now we're moving on to your favorite releases for June. June 2021 is in the can. And uh, the, uh, the top five films I have to recommend if you haven't had the chance to see them. Undina, directed by Christian Petzold, uh, which we did cover. Uh, Tova. Actually, almost all of these are names. Tova, uh, directed by Zaida, Zaida Bergeroth, who I got to interview uh, several months ago because Tova was Finland's uh, Oscar submission. Um, it's about the uh, very out-of-the-box writer uh, Tova Janssen, uh, which is really worth checking out. Um, Gea, South African film from Jaco Bauer, who, which you also saw and we covered. Kind of a simmering uh, eco-thriller. Um, I Carry You With Me, which you did not see, uh, from Heidi Ewing, uh, who I didn't realize it when I mentioned it last week. Uh, she directed that series we covered, Love Fraud. Oh. Uh, anyway, that, and then last but not least, which might be in my top ten of the year, uh, come the end of the year, is Zola, uh, directed by Janixa Bravo, which uh, got a theatrical theatrical release uh, June 30th. So it just makes our cutoff for this list. Um, yeah, uh, Taylor Page and Riley Keough and Coleman Domingo, uh, I think in my review I called it, it's kind of a unicorn of a film. Just original and fun and creepy. Nice. <laughs> Okay, for today's topic, you came up with the idea of talking about critics. Specifically, you sent me like a headline about what makes a critic. Well, there was a, uh, I had noticed an article published on Vox by Carlos Aguilar, and I, I think in conjunction, in conjunction of conversations we've had based on the feedback we've received for our review on The Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt, which opened today, and th this Vox article was, Who Gets to Be a Critic?, I've always been, everybody's a critic. You, you can critique the critics. If you have an opinion, you're a critic. Uh, it's just all about who's taken seriously, who gets to be part of the cultural conversation that can, you know, maybe steer uh, uh, or cause an evolution of how something is um, received by the public. You know, that, that with it, there's... Potentially, potentially, a semblance of power for those that are looking for that, um, for somebody that has been writing as a film critic, press journalist for a decade, it's more about access and, um, you know, but what I was struck by, by Mr. Aguilar's article is about, you know, the lack of perspective and as a, as a queer person, how my approach to it was also similar to his of it, it's probably very unrealistic that this will ever be anything for me uh, or I will ever have a modicum of success as this and that kind of imposter syndrome about how I will never measure up um, so th that had there were some triggering things about reading that article but and then in conjunction with kind of the you know a little backlash we get because we've been called in response to disliking um, the Tomorrow War despite not bringing up Chris Pratt's religion, or um, even saying that we don't like Chris Pratt in general, because it's not that's not the case. It's just it's a terrible movie. Uh, 
being called heterophobes. Well, let me interrupt here because since I'm the one who manages the YouTube page and I see you, you don't see any of the negative comments because I generally uh, delete them. Or... Oh, well, you left some up on that one. Well, because I don't mind criticism, like people providing like differing opinions. Sure. So I don't delete those because I think they're valid. Like just how I'm having an opinion about something. I appreciate that people took the time to watch something and then say that they don't agree for various reasons. So I don't delete everything, but when they're just sort of like nasty derogatory comments, I, I do just uh, block the person from the channel. So that being said, what I find very interesting and what I'm sure many people will find interesting who watch our videos is the overwhelming majority of nasty comments we receive are related to us having a negative opinion about whiteness yeah generally a white male casey affleck casey affleck um specifically that i mean that was a big one um but yeah anything featuring white characters or us specifically saying we don't like sort of like acts of whiteness as as it were or a white male actor we get a lot of really nasty comments which is interesting because conversely we have watched we have over 500 videos so we've watched a lot of movies and there have been movies featuring uh actors people of color uh ethnic themes whatnot and we've also not liked those films and in general the f criticism we receive is more constructive yeah more substantiated mm -hmm. more respectful but when it's about white folks Oh, yeah. Oh, there, it's off the chain. Somebody said something about how snowflakes don't like Chris Pratt or something, like disregarding us as snowflakes. And I, I wonder if it's... I, I don't I, even know what that means. I, I was assuming they meant it as like uh, der a derogatory euphemism for homosexuals. But um, I think snowflake is also something that they call a black person who only sleeps with white men. I've never heard that. I've heard that, it, and that's what people used to say that in Minneapolis. That's how where I found out about I it. I thought that. Well, I, I, I don't know. The, I, I don't know the comment you're referring to, but I was going to say that I think. You know, what makes a critic? I would. Well, we didn't really talk about the topic before we started this podcast. So, but we have quite a bit of time to talk. So, I think. I want to say that when, so I want to back up and say that when I think about what it means to be educated, mm -hmm. I think it means like how to decipher the truth, when to know how to seek out information, to substantiate our beliefs, to verify. And I find it very interesting that people seek out information, i.e. a YouTube video, about a topic they're interested in or curious about. And they, they, they want to argue and be mad mm -hmm. about a differing opinion. Mm -hmm. And I just find it so interesting because I think like, okay, if you just love Chris Pratt, no matter what he does, it's just... The, the greatest thing ever. It's a, t a 10 out of 10 movie. Why are you on the internet seeking out 
opinions that could differ from yours and inflame you. And my thought is that they think they want to troll mm -hmm. those people and somehow they're like Captain Save-A-Hoeing their fave, which I think is so lame. Because if you think Chris Pratt is at home thanking you in his mind for trolling people who didn't like his performance, you're mistaken. And it's it's just a very sort of like a loser thing to do, I think, in general. To well, it's, spend it's, that it's, amount of time on the internet wanting to like be negative towards people who don't share the same views you do. Well, it's being a bully. Is You're bullying people. Like to, to say... I'm a, a heterophobe because I don't like a movie starring this uh, white stud. I, I mean, come on. <laughs> it, it, but that is also constructive criticism. It's not... But moving on from what I think I was trying to say is... Or, or moving on to what I think I was trying to say is... If you ask me, do I think I'm a critic? No. Because my knowledge of the subject matter I'm talking about is minimal. I think what validates me as having a voice is that I think I just represent like the average person who's expected, like a consumer. So cinema is a product that we consume. We're, we are expected to spend our hard-earned money to stream or go to a movie theater and buy these expensive-ass concessions on products that filmmakers and studios have doled out to us. And I think that we as consumers have every right to give our opinion on products that we're expected to spend money on. So I think that in that regard, I'm totally in my right to give my review of a film. Well, I, I think... But I don't have the background or the cinematic knowledge you do, so I don't necessarily... So my reactions are generally like, I sat for 90 minutes and watched this thing and this is how I felt about okay, it. Okay, well, I'm going to give you... Um, there aren't a lot of... Uh, so-called critics that I think even have the kind of knowledge <laughs> or passion that I do for watching what I've watched. Uh, so I don't think that's what makes a film critic, though. I, I think that that makes a, uh, you know, a cinephile or a, an aficionado. But uh, you, I would say that I disagree. I think you classify as a critic but this is what th th this is where the two things i'm talking about come together about what educated means and seeking out the truth and then what a critic is where they come together is if someone watches our youtube videos i'm assuming they do it because they really appreciate your knowledge of cinema and they like your insights and oftentimes people comment that they discover new things because they listen to you go on and I think people probably find me amusing and they think that my perspective is maybe similar to theirs, which really excites me that there are particularly trans and queer people of color who think that maybe we have similar opinions. Mm -hmm. So that makes me very excited. Like, oh, there are other people out there who think that maybe like we have similar thoughts and we would be aligned on a lot of topics. So... People who are choosing to watch us are doing so because they think that our opinions are entertaining, but also would align with their taste and interest. And that's why I think it's like you're making an educated choice. So the people who like watching our YouTube videos and the few that are listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. they are making an educated choice to do so. 
and I think it's the educated choice that makes this the individual like the the subject so us then that would qualify us as a critic right yeah so I think it's subjective I'm not so then I was thinking okay so and I know I've gotten in trouble for saying this before but whatever I think it's like when <laughs> when, I, when I think about the average film critic mm-hmm so let's say like some a 27-year-old straight white guy who probably has a conservative background and then he's talking about stories and films or stories in films and talking about how this is weird they didn't like that they didn't like the style of this and it's like well yeah with your background and your taste and interest you wouldn't and maybe and it's not to say that Kyle who lives in Idaho who's reviewing you know a Tyler Perry movie it's not that he can't have his opinion because there are many people who share his perspective, sure, his, sure. his POV. What I'm saying is there should be other voices that represent other POVs <clears throat> so that people can make educated choices as to who they want to listen to. So, you know, bringing it back to what you started with about the Tomorrow War, which I didn't, you know, that video is getting views and people don't like what we had to say. And I think... It's just like, well, are you making an educated choice? You know, mm-hmm. people love to make derogatory comments about our sexuality. Why are you, why are, why are you clicking play on two faggots talking about a movie that you know you're going to be offended by? Like, right. To me, it just baffles my mind. You know, you don't like gay people. You know, well, you're... and then and then try to demean us as a way to shame us into getting in line and and agreeing with everyone else. I should be able to have a voice, and I think it's because there aren't as many others who have a voice. I think it's important for all of us to get out there and say something. Because if we all said something, I I bet the sort of narrative would adjust swiftly. Meaning that someone like Chris Pratt would be given the opportunity to executive produce and star in this shitty-ass big-budget action movie. Mm -hmm. If everyone had an opinion, Mm -hmm. if every black and brown person had an opinion, if every person who doesn't, you know, watch NASCAR or doesn't, you know, smoke weed. I'm just thinking of every type of person. If everyone had a voice, what would what what would stories look like that are considered mainstream? Well, the critical body of the, as in like the major publications, who is writing, who is influencing are the cat's going to jump. Oh, uh, are not are white men. It's a lot of white gay men too, but the, it does not reflect the diversity of the population or even what's, you know, being offered up cinematically um, because they don't want to talk about... The, the, prob- the, the, the bottleneck effect there then is they don't want to talk about things they're uncomfortable with, i.e., you know, black shit. So, like, is- so... But, but the, and that furthermore, that's reflected in the, the, you know, historically in the body of what's voted for at the Academy Awards. Like, the, the black things that are... Uh, awarded or are nominated are slave narratives because white people are comfortable talking about slave narratives because they like to think we're distanced enough from that to where it's comfortable to talk about that and everything else is kind of like oh i don't know what to say um i heard, i lost my train of thought but oh that you did you read the article no okay so uh <laughs> of course not uh but the uh, a case in point was spike lee's bamboozled which recently had a Criterion release that we reviewed. Uh, and uh, I have fond memories. The first time I watched Bamboozled, we, you and I had a, 
uh, triple, a Spike Lee triple feature, which I'm sure you don't remember because this was 2008. It was Inside Man, Bamboozled, and School Days. Um, anyhow, about how the, because that came out in 2000, so all of the major people writing about it were white men and women and were very, very dismissive to it. And now that it, the Criterion has kind of, a, in this restoration of it, has allowed for a new critical consensus in talking about how prescient uh, Bamboozled uh, was, I, I think is a very, was a great example for this author to bring up um, in this article. Uh, but, but also just... You know, and I think this relates back to Silky Ganache even, is just oh. respecting that the world is not for you in all your own and that there are other perspectives. And if you are, uh, if you are privileged enough to, for an other, uh, a person of color, a queer person, a trans person, to be vulnerable in front of you, uh, to respect that they have a different perspective and a different worldview, and it it's... Maybe there's something that you're not seeing, and maybe it broadens your own horizons. That's th that's supposed to be the excitement. And I, whatever last podcast we talked, but being curious about other people. It's about being curious. It's not if if you're a straight white dude and everybody else that's not is saying that this is shit. Shouldn't it make you like like oh like well what are they seeing that I'm not? Like doesn't it make you curious instead of just shutting down the conversation and saying like. That's like telling a black person that's criticizing something about reverse racism. It We're not heter being heterophobic by not like, liking something that's heteronormative. That is not how the mechanism works. Right. But, yeah. anyhow. Oh, that's a lot to take in. Oh, so were you, were you listening to my diatribe? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I look over at you and it's like, oh, okay. Well, no, because I'm having to listen to you, obviously. I, like, I'm not just thinking what, how I'm going to respond. I'm, like, listening. Sure. Uh, but, no, the topic's big. I think it's just an interesting thing. And I've talked about this before as someone who never felt like they had a voice for all of my life. Like, just feeling so insecure and othered and all the things. And then all of a sudden deciding, I'm going to start making videos and posting them on YouTube. And then getting feedback and a lot of it has been positive and a lot of it even when it's not positive it's like oh I feel seen like people mm -hmm. get you know my sense of humor or and that feels great or just the fact that people even find me moderately amusing you know whether even though I, it, it may be that I'm just a clown it still feels like refreshing mm -hmm. but to that and you know I also want to be clear that the trollish comments people make don't upset me per right. se. I just find them fascinating. So for anyone who, you know, would hear this and think like, yeah, I got them. You really didn't. Uh, yeah, no, um, I, hey, I'm still getting, I'm still paying my bills and I'm comfortable. So don't, and I don't want to minimize people who get bullied and aren't able to manage it well. No, but, but, I, but I'm certainly not one of those people. I'm too old. I'm too fly. I, th like, I, think, I, just... <laughs> I think that's the, I think that's the thing. At a certain point in my life, you know, up until probably my early twenties, like that kind of com if I put myself out like in the world as I am now, and that is the response. Even if it's just a small percentage of the response, even if the overwhelming response I received was uh, positive, as it is now. That, that probably would have bothered me enough to shut me down. And that, sure. that is the power you give them by letting them do that. So I think if anybody's listening to this, it's, 
you know, not as easy, easy as like it gets better, but it's just like you just got to tune that shit out. Uh, but, but, you but, know, but also respond to it. It's the thing about, you know, Michelle Obama's uh, when they go low, we go high. If you have the ability to do so, if you're in survival mode, you don't have the ability to go high all the time. Sometimes things have to get down and dirty. So, you know, this conversation is coming from a place of privilege in, in that fact that we aren't actually ever going to be affected by well, Yeah, we don't have to engage anyone. Um, so I respect that. But I think um, getting back to, like, the idea of being a critic, I'm hesitant to think that I am because... Because we've been conditioned to think that it, being a critic means and looks a certain thing and you're, you're well not... that but also I do think there's some validity into like there needs to be some level of expertise do I think that I have a level of expertise <laughs> excuse I, me I, I would I would argue yes at, at this point I, I certainly watch more movies than the average person I certainly spend more time talking about movies than the average person so do I think that I am positioned to speak about film yes some may argue not very eloquently but you know i've done it enough that i feel comfortable wait, doing wait, it. Wait a but it but it doesn't matter whether or not i'm an expert i think going back to the educated choices i don't make myself a critic it's people who value my opinion mm -hmm. because even before we started making the youtube videos people would ask me like like people who knew me i could see that they wanted my take on things mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can't wait to hear what you think about this and that. So it's like, whether they thought, oh, I do a really good job of selling a movie I like, or I do a good job of making fun of a movie I don't like, it was those people's thoughts on my opinions that made me feel valid. Mm -hmm. So me me just saying I'm a critic, it, it's not for me to say I'm a critic, it's for anyone who wants to hear the words I'm saying, Make who are the ones who make me a critic. Okay. I think. Well, don't you feel... I feel like since we started doing the YouTube channel, I, I feel like I've seen you kind of blossom into that as well. Like, you take notes. You brought a note to the theater. A notebook to the theater. <laughs> like, I, you do take it seriously in a way as in you want your thoughts to be heard. And to I me, think, that's a being a critic. I think, to me, I feel like, oh, I'm an asshole who makes YouTube videos about movies. So to me, like... I, that's would just, wait, I don't think that's... I would describe myself that way. I wouldn't say, like, I'm a film critic. I think if we ever got to a level where we're being sought out to review things, and then it's like, okay, well, then sure. I mean, if you have to call me something. But I think there's a level... Of expertise and a that, that I don't necessarily have but I kind of do but I like you said initially we all are critics like if you have an opinion you're you're a critic yeah um, and you don't need all that back like I, I know that I ramble on and on and sound like an encyclopedia about film but you don't need that I've been to critic. many many screenings in LA mm -hmm. And they're always filled with critics. Like, usually they're press screenings. So yeah. I go because I tag along with you. And they're a certain group of people. Yeah. They are generally um, pretentious, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, not usually attractive people. Um, they think that they're... Well, I'm just... You know, I mean, I'm just... I have eyes. So, you know, they're kind of like crunchy people who think that like they're like the tastemakers and the I don't like that vibe. I don't like this vibe that like my opinion matters. No, my opinion, well my we're, all of our opinions matter, but it's like 
oh, so you think you're going to make or break something. No, I don't think that when I get on a, 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 like in front of the camera and say I hated this movie that I'm trying to destroy it. I'm just saying that if you expect me to spend my little $20 on my one Saturday night free to go do something with my girlfriend or my best friend or my brother, I should have a right to say like, this was crap. I didn't like it. In the same way that if you went to TGI Fridays and bought your little uh, uh, surf and turf for $20, <laughs> I don't know what people pay at TGI Fridays, but... And you didn't like it, you would ask the server to take it back because you're not happy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why when it comes to things like film, people seem so unreasonable accepting the fact that there are people who did not enjoy their purchase. Mm -hmm. Because if you bought a t-shirt at H&M that you wore out one night and then tried to return the next day and claimed that it didn't fit you well, like you don't, you don't have a problem doing that. Mm -hmm. You don't have a problem complaining that, you know... The sour cream on your Chipotle burrito was warm, or but somehow someone saying they don't like something that has an actor you like is just unacceptable. Right, right, right. Well, I and I love that in our review, neither of us brought up his religion, and that is what a lot of comments are about, which I find fascinating. Like they were, <laughs> it means that people are on edge. Like like people just want to be fired up, which mm -hmm. I find amusing. I find it amusing. Like. Do they not have anything better to Over do? Over Chris Pratt. Like, do they not have anything better to do? This is meant... It's all meant to be entertainment, I right? I just want... Like, are you voting in your local elections, people? Like, what are... Who cares yeah, about Yeah, why Chris are Pratt? you, like, crusading for Chris Pratt? In the Tomorrow War. And really exchange Chris Pratt with any actor... Right, ...who right. people just feel so passionate about. And I always say this, too. Everyone knows my fave is Janet Jackson. Mm -hmm. She... I, I know she's not the best singer the best dancer, the best anything. But to me, she is. Do you think I have ever gone on the internet and tried to look up a review of anything she's done? Of course not. Right. It because doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It matters what you think. It matters what I think. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like knowing when to seek out information is real, and how to seek it out is the mark of an educated person. Mm -hmm. Not a degree, not an alma mater. It's like, is this how you're choosing to spend your time? is to seek out information that will inflame you over something that you know you already have a strong opinion about. What is the purpose of wasting your time if there's no curiosity, no value in no entertainment value associated with it? It's just you really spending hours on the interwebs wanting to engage people to argue about someone who could... Chris Pratt could care less if you live or die. Mm -hmm. For anyone out there who's mad about whatever I said about Chris Pratt's new movie, he could care less whether you live or die. And you're on the and you're on Beyonce's internet, <laughs> making nasty comments to two people you also don't know. Who, at least for myself, I can say I also don't care whether you live or die. And you want to argue about this? It makes no sense. Suck a dick. Start a business. You know, like enjoy your okay, life. Okay, T.S. Madison. Yeah. Shout out to T.S. Madison. <laughs> Shout out to T.S. Madison. Um, I. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it's it's important to. I think it's it's just the importance of authenticity. The importance uh, of being earnest. The importance of being earnest, Oscar Wilde's and some bun burying for you. Uh, I am not a part of the majority culture, uh, and nor do I want to be. And my perspective will be uh, completely informed by that. And. Uh, 
what I'm there to clock, I will, uh, as I am able to. Uh, as a white person, obviously, I have racial blind spots, but, you know, we can all get try to get better. And... <laughs> I I don't know. I, I just find it so fascinating to think that like it's 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 as if the fear of if these films go away because films are a reflection of our culture. Like they, they reflect you know the normalcy we're supposed to see. Uh, and I think there's this fear if that goes away, then that's kind of the last stand almost. Oh yeah, I would say that I think if I had to accept like the critic moniker, um, I only would do so because I feel like it's so important for others to have a voice and for people to feel like there's someone who represents them, even in the tiniest portion, more and is looking out for their interests. A lot of the time my criticism is based on gender and race and sexuality from my perspective. Like I am a queer, brown, cis man. Mm -hmm. Like, so a lot of things don't appeal to me. And for people out there who feel a kinship with that, then my opinion has value. And if you don't like people like me, then what are you doing watching me? You seem obsessed, bro. Like, what? You know, I, I find it very strange that, like, I mean, just based off of their language and their avatars, it's like, so these, like, straight guys seem so inflamed by us, and it just kind of seems I odd. I think it's, it's... Like, I like I wonder, are you just more curious? Like It's, it's a tactic to shut us down, uh, to, to make people... That's a tactic to make people want to give up. Um, it's like, it, it's, it goes back to, like, bullying in school. They don't want to see... It's the dread of difference. And the, you know, the good thing about being someone who has experienced a lot of bullying in their life is hopefully as we age, we learn how to withstand it and grow, which I certainly have. So it's like, well, I mean, all this does is make me want to be even more salty about certain well, things. <laughs> but it's just, you know what, like looking back on, uh, the angst of my childhood and teenage years, I'm glad I went through it because that made me stronger than ever. And you know, you see all these people. That's why you saw, like, during the pandemic, all these white people throwing temper tantrums and CVS and shit. It's because they've never been told no. Like, you know, to have had many doors shut in my face just because of something I can't help. Um, and have, have, as a white person, have had other doors open for me for something I can't help in ways that I didn't even realize, obviously, at the time. But, you know... <laughs> That that going through things makes going through those traumas makes you a resilient person, and Agreed. the resilient will conquer the earth. Yeah, if there's anything left to conquer. <laughs> Anyhow, well, we can wrap up. Um, you need to get a good night's sleep. You have a long day of travel. Well, tomorrow. no, I wanted to watch Snow White: A Tale of Terror with Sigourney Weaver. We watched um, Isabelle Huppert in White as Snow, which we have a review for coming out soon. Uh, oh yeah, that, but that can't come out till, till August, August. I think. But I we, was disappointed with the film. I was too. Spoiler alert. Love, love Isabel, uh, but Isabel looks fantastic. But it left us. It, Joseph had forgotten wanting. About, Sigour it left me wanting. Sigourney Weaver in 1997's Snow White, A Tale of Terror, for which she received a SAG and Emmy Award uh, nomination. Oh. <laughs> invite. She, was, she received an invitation. She, she was there. <laughs> also starring Gil Bellows and Monica Kina and Sam 
Neil. Uh, so even if we just started, uh, we've I've already had one glass of wine, and I hope to sail us into the evening on the backs of Sigourney singing whatever song that's called that she's singing in that movie. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, because what, what time is it right now? 9.30. Oh, it's 9.30. At 9.30 Pacific Standard Time. And you need to be at the airport at 8, mm -hmm. which means we need to get up at, like, 7. Yeah, perfect. Uh, you, you, you're you going to get up at 7? Yeah, mm -hmm. I get up at 7 every day. No, okay. We have a few minutes. We're going to get into this. Okay. Give me another glass of wine. Are you going to lie to the people and say that you get up at 7 every morning? I get up at 7, I sign on to things I need to sign on to, and then sometimes I... Well, don't say too much, but what I will say is you... So let me rephrase this. You struggle to get up in the morning. Once I have the cop, the first pot of coffee, I'm fine. Oh my god. That's another issue. I'm a night owl. I, that's when I write. That's when I write poetry and uh, talk to myself. <laughs> I'm an early bird. Mm -hmm. I do not like being up late. At all. True. Um, and I also, uh, I I have an aversion to people who cannot get up in the morning. <laughs> uh. I struggle with that. I struggle with people who come into work dragging. I don't come into work dragging. I'm not implying you do. I'm just saying that that's usually the experience. When I say that I have an aversion, it's like, because I've had many positions where I worked earlier in the day. Like I would start work at seven. Mm -hmm. So people who would drag themselves in at seven and it's like they don't want to be bothered until they have their first cup of coffee drives me oh see crazy. no i never i've never liked that because i think as an adult it's like okay first of all science has shown that we need x amount of hours for sleep yes. and getting less than that is carcinogenic and also you just look like shit when you don't get enough sleep so that's one thing number two if you know you need to be up at 6 a.m and you need to get at least seven hours sleep, then math would dictate that you should be in bed by 11. And there are a lot of people out there who don't want to do what's best for their day, and that drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. Also, like, I used to have trouble sleeping, and I did, like, I've done more than one sleep study, and I've taken sleep hygiene courses, and it is very important to have a routine. And I think this idea that, like, I'm a night owl, is like you're making yourself. Oh, so up. you're just throwing me under the bus. I, no. I am more productive at night. No, I'm not Creative, applying creatively. I, I'm not saying you're not more productive. What I'm saying is that you don't have, like, people can't adjust their sleep patterns to something that's more natural. <laughs> that was the cat, not me. That's the cat. <laughs> so saying that a person can't go to bed early or can't wake up early is their own doing. Like you could slowly adjust so that um, a did, person did could you, go to you, bed at eleven and wake you, up at seven. Did you hear me say I can't? I'm not talking about you. Oh, okay. I'm talking about. Oh, sleep. okay. Well, but talk, as you are talk, apt to do, talking make, to the world, okay. you make everything. Well, I am making a podcast, so I am talking to the world. Okay. But um, yeah, so. Getting back to tomorrow, you have to get up at 7. Yeah, so perfect. So get to the airport at 8. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure you're going to stay up till 2 in the morning tonight. I No, probably midnight. But, um, because, yeah, I, I, you know, be prepared. Anyhow, do you have any final thoughts after your lecture? So, for next week, you'll, so next week's podcast, you'll still be in France. Uh -huh. So, I'm not sure how we'll do that. Um, maybe we'll come up with an idea. Maybe we'll try to do something over, like, telephone and record it. 
Maybe I'll have a special <laughs> guest do a podcast with me. I don't know. Okay. I don't know who that would be. Um, and then I think I might even try to record a video on for a YouTube channel by myself. As you should. As you should. So we'll see how that goes. Swimmingly, I'm sure. Because we don't. We we would only have, I think, one video over the next two weeks if yeah. I don't. Yeah. Well, that's not true. We're also planning on maybe recording a couple of Zoom calls while you're in France to kind of get a rundown of what you've been up to. Maybe share some photos of the, what is it, the Palais. The Palais. Yeah, maybe you can share, take some photos or videos and share them so I can put them in the video. Uh, so that might be fun. People seem to, I had posted something on YouTube about that. Mm -hmm. People seemed interested in you sharing like your trip like, oh. while you're there so that might be coming down the pike um we did whole 30 yeah again again feel great uh i need a belt on my jeans now i went to the doctor and i had lost uh, 13 pounds mm. so that was interesting c'est bon yeah bon. i'll gain them all back in the next uh <laughs> no i usually lose weight when you're gone because i I eat less when you're not around. Um, Thanks. But mainly because uh, I, I refuse to prepare food. That's so. true. I, I, did, I spent a lot of time today food prepping for you. You did, and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, you can sign off. Oh, I had a final quote to leave the people with. Well, you have 120 seconds. Fascism is capitalism plus murder. <laughs> Great. From Upton Sinclair, author of The Jungle. Not Sinclair Lewis, Upton Sinclair. Sinclair Lewis wrote Main Street. Anyhow, say bon. Bye.